If you're an entrepreneur, you know what it means to take personal and financial risks, create jobs that support your community, and devote most of your time to your business. But do you know how to plan for a successful exit from your business? Do you know who should be involved in creating your succession or transition plan and the steps along the way? Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. The podcast theme is inspired by critically acclaimed business author, Bo Burlingham, author of Finish Big, how great entrepreneurs exit their companies on top. In this podcast, you'll hear success stories of exit plans done right and pick up practical tips based on years of legacy business advisors' expertise and knowledge about the largest and most important financial transaction of your life. Now, on to the show. Hello. This is your host, Mark Dorman of the Finish Big Podcast. And today I'm very, very excited to have one of my friends and someone I really, really respect and look up to on a number of different fronts. Uh, one, he's a he's a member at the Prestwick Golf Club over in my uh, my parents' native country of Scotland. But most importantly, Michael M. Carter is a software entrepreneur, an author, and a private investor. Michael Carter is the creator of the concept and movement behind mission capitalism and is the co-author of the best-selling book on capitalism called The Mission Corporation, and we'll talk about that. Michael is best known, however, as the founder and CEO of BizEquity, the inventor of the market-leading online valuation service that is helping the small business economy. Michael has been called one of the top 100 financial technology leaders globally by Hot Topics Media in London. And BizEquity was recently recognized as one of the top 360 companies in the United States by Entrepreneur Media. Prior to founding BizEquity, Mike was the managing director of the Musser Group, where he worked with legendary investor Warren V. Pete Musser to create, invest, and help grow in small businesses and entrepreneurs. In fact, Mike was one of the youngest executive officers ever of a billion, that's with a B, billion-dollar public-traded internet professional services company, founded the first dashboard software company called Dashboard Systems, and was one of the first to invent the virtual data warehousing technology used in most big data applications today. He began his career at the Cambridge Technology Partners in Management Consulting and has founded over seven technology companies and helped to fund 25 more in the areas of web services, fintech, and artificial intelligence. Mike Carter is a graduate of the St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. Michael Carter, my friend, welcome to Finish Big, the podcast. Oh, thank you, Mark, so much. Pleasure to be here. And um, I echo what you said. You're, you're a great friend. Uh, you've been a, a great partner for us at BizEquity and someone I admire as well. Well, appreciate that. Appreciate that. We've had a good run here with the Legacy Advisors Network, and many of my friends will be listening to this. But so let's just dig dig into it. We've got a lot to cover there. Your uh, Your bio took up about half the show. Oh, um, <laughs> but give us your background prior to Biz Equity. You mentioned this relationship with Pete Musser and a lot of things you've accomplished, but I'm, I'm, maybe give us the Reader's Digest version of how all of a sudden you had this light bulb moment about business valuation and where that whole journey took you. Sure. You know, like, you know, a lot of, lot of folks, I've been blessed by having a great mentor so my mentor was um, Pete Musser, as you mentioned, and Pete was just an amazing human being. He passed away a few years ago at the at a great age um, in his 90s, 91, I believe. 
And I was uh, really lucky to work alongside him. And I always tell the story that he had a round table in his office or in the room next to his office. And he would have um, lunch meetings with entrepreneurs and probably over like a 70 year career or a 65 year career. He's probably, he probably met over 10,000 entrepreneurs. Wow. Um, he would always ask them, you know, at the end of the meeting, well, what do you think your business is worth? And I was always perplexed a little bit because sometimes these entrepreneurs would come in or CEOs would come in and they'd be very confident. And some would say maybe arrogant, overly confident, but they all stumbled at this question. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were looking at a company in upstate New York and we were looking to invest in them. And the two entrepreneurs were in their 60s pretty successful guys. Um, and it was a lithium ion battery maker about 12 years ago, 14 years ago. And that was kind of an interesting space, probably still is an interesting space. I just don't know it anymore. And I remember asking the two founders, Gary and Dick, what they thought their business was worth. And one looked at the other, they kind of shrugged and said, I don't know, two to three times. So I said, two to three times revenue, because that would have been about the valuation. And they said, no, no earnings. Mm. I remember flying back in the little U.S. Airways at the time, now American commuter jet, thinking, how are these guys, you know, pretty successful folks, they just don't know the value of their business. And then it clicked with all the questions Pete would ask all these entrepreneurs. And I was like, and at the time, Zillow had just came out, come out, mm. the real estate application. Sure. Was like, Why isn't there a Zillow for business? And that, that kernel of the idea, and then being around Pete and hearing him ask those questions, that began the journey. And like a lot of uh, important ideas, I know, the, and concepts and businesses, I know you've done them as well. It, you just can't shake it, right? Once it clicks in your mind. And so it probably clicked in my mind about 13, 14 years ago, and I couldn't shake it. And um, that began the journey of biz equity. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you know, my business is in the succession and exit planning space. And whenever I meet a new prospect, or business owner, I'll ask him or her. Uh, so when you meet with your financial advisor, tell me what they tell you about the value of your business. And they say, well, we never talk about that. We talk about my IRA or my 401k or maybe some, my buy-sell agreement. And I said, you know, it's interesting that, you know, 90% of your net worth, Mr. Business Owner or Mrs. Business Owner is tied up in the value of your business. And if you work with our firm, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about your business really don't really care a whole lot about your $200,000 IRA. It's really more the $5 million machine shop that you're running that you've leveraged all your personal net worth into, et cetera. But one of the things that when I first met you, you stated a quote that I just want to, I want to test you here, but I think you said that was 98% of all small business owners in America do not know the value of their business. Do you still believe that? Yeah, I do. You know, maybe it's now 96% because we're helping yeah. a bunch and you're helping a bunch at Legacy. But um, no, I think it's still in the mid to high 90 percentile. And that research study came from I Ibis World Research Study. And mm -hmm. um, what it said was that um, less than 2% of companies every year value themselves um, and pay for evaluation and actually get evaluation for their own business. So with that, it was a multi-billion dollar market that wasn't disrupted. Yeah. So I think the first thing was the idea. I fell in love with the idea because I could see it in real life, helping these two business owners, Gary and Dick, and you see it every day in your practice in the wealth management business and the exit planning business and helping, helping owners get more from their business so that you can help their families. So that was the one thing. And then the second thing was, wait a minute, no one's doing it. 
And, you know, the old Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, you're an expert in the space. So that, that's that been an amazing journey and really fun to kind of dig in on that and, and help. And, you know, doing something important where I think we're, you know, an overused term these days, but the ability to democratize something and make it better, faster, cheaper to help more people. And we do it through the advisory channel with great folks like you. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, you know, that was the journey of biz equity. And that was the kernel that began it. Yeah, and Biz Equity, uh, if I recall, my research has been endorsed by the American Bankers Association. Uh, but let me just dig a little bit deeper there. Why is it that you feel, why is it not that you feel, but factually, business owners don't know? Is it, it's not that they're lazy, they're obviously highly motivated, high, highly driven. Is it just kind of like, I don't want to step on the scale and find out how much I weigh this morning? Is it expense? Is it inconvenience? What, what would you, what, what would your comment there? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little bit of all all of them. I think it's the old way to do it was seven to ten thousand bucks, right? It took four to six weeks, highly intrusive because you'd have an accountant come in, go through your drawers, put stuff on the file. And to your other point, it took a lot of time. So four mm-hmm. to six weeks. And you know, it's a little bit of all those four things. And then this idea of kind of the cobbler's son shoe syndrome, right? So the cobbler's son kind of maybe didn't have the best shoes, right? Because the cobbler's busy, busy doing shoes for other people. And you see that all the time with business owners, right? They're so focused. Uh, what is, what's the line, right? On in their business. And they're working, yeah, they're working in their business, not on their business, right? I, right? I've got another friend who, you know, Doug Tatum, he's been on my show here and, and he talks about it's very difficult for a business owner, for him or her to maintain a strategic mindset about their business, right? Because they get sucked into the undertow of putting out fires. So totally. I, I bet you, uh, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So did you have certain benchmarks when you were building biz equity I bet you were always concentrated on, am I building or detracting from the value of this business, right? And Okay, so then also imagine for any company, you might be underwater for the first few years, maybe longer, and then all of a sudden you kind of break through and, and, and scale. So can you share with our listeners how that journey looked? Totally. I think it, having that mindset really helped me through the tough and the lean times, um, which were probably the first four or five years building the business, it was not a, you know, auspicious start in the sense of it took a lot of time, but I really believed in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I I believe to your point, if I was building the enterprise value of the company every six months, every year, I would continue to grow the company and run the company because I knew that the asset value of what I was building was going to be worth, you know, a lot more. So it's mm-hmm. kind of the Wayne Gretzky school, right? Of hockey, they asked him, "How do you score so many goals?" And he said, "Because I don't go to where the puck was; I go, I go to where this puck's going to be." Correct. And so that was the idea of the business to say, like, and it's much more fun, I think, to do this, right? To find a business that's kind of missionary, where you can help. It's an important mm-hmm. idea, and then go to where not everybody is, because mm-hmm. that's more fun, right? And then, and then it's more fun, and it's more rewarding, and you mm-hmm. can build true enterprise value. And I started it at an interesting time because it was pre all the run up of VC money. And I was adamant on not taking a lot of venture money. I had two amazing, I had a bunch of amazing board members, but specifically around venture, I guess I had three really good venture board members that I didn't necessarily take their venture funds money, but I had Michael Abbott who went on to run software at Apple and was CTO at Twitter. He was a partner at Kleiner Perkins. I had Michael Moe, 
who I ended up writing a book with, who's a great friend as well, and was a partner at GSV, one of the best performing venture firms. And then John Loftus was an internet capital group. So it kind of felt like I don't need venture money or I don't need somebody to tell me how to run my business and take a lot of money because I wanted to get it right first. Mm. And I think a lot of companies, if, if you're flush with cash too early before you figure out the business model, you can waste a lot of money. Sure. No, I would completely agree with that. No, right. So I think in some ways, you know, we were, we were blessed with that, you know, you were forced to get it right. Right. To- totally. Yeah, totally. No, I get it. I get it. Let's switch channels. I want to spend the, the the last third of our segment here talking about your work with the mission corporation and mission capitalism. But before we get there, why is business valuation so important to a small business owner? Oh my gosh. So I always love that. I, I like to say this. It's like, if you ask a business owner, I'd say 80% of them know what CRM is, right? Or Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I need CRM. I need Salesforce. And you say, why do you need Salesforce? Or why do you need CRM? Oh, well, like, of course I need it because I have to track my pipeline and I have to track my customers. And so, and I say, okay, so why are you tracking your pipeline? Well, what do you mean? I'm tracking my pipeline. So I track my revenue. And I say, so why are you tracking your revenue? And I say, what do you mean? So my business is what? And they said, worth more. I said, exactly. Mm. Tracking the value of your business. Mm-hmm. Revenue mm-hmm. is just one aspect of it. So I think like 20 years from now, you know, I still think business valuation is, you know, will it morph into a category with an acronym? So will it be called like enterprise valuation management and everything you do within your firm is like this AI automated business process where the value of your business changes automatically and dynamically. But I do think like it has the potential to rival CRM, um, customer relationship management, as a category. Um, mm. Because if you think about it, there's nothing more important, unless you're running a nonprofit, as to managing, tracking, and growing your business value. And so, you know, right now, you know, we're the 800-pound gorilla, and we're, we're, we're still pretty small as of a, of a software company, but we're an 800-pound gorilla in the space. But I just think the space is going to keep getting larger and larger. Yeah, we have used your tool... Uh, nearly exclusively for the last eight years. Uh, we use it throughout our network. We work with uh, your colleague, Brent Heflin, who's been a terrific uh, assistant friend, partner to our to our business, et cetera. But, so let me just explore on that a minute. When you look at valuation methodologies, there's four different types. Talk to me like a second grader. What are the differences there? And what, as a business owner, if there's four flavors, so to speak, which one should I be focusing on the most? So I'd say, great question. So I I dissect it a bit, just a little bit more, which is there's two primary ways to value a business. There's SDE, seller's discretionary earnings. So tax efficient run businesses that basically basically don't want to pay as much tax, right? So they may expense out a lot of things. Are there Um, businesses out there, Michael, that want to pay a lot of taxes? No, no, I don't either. (laughs) Um, But well, so so tax efficiently run businesses that are private, Mm -hmm right? Mm-hmm. That want to expense out a lot of things. A, a great valuation method for that would be SDE, seller's discretionary earnings. Mm-hmm. Your funny line, which is part is true, obviously, but for high growth companies that are, say, publicly traded or seriously venture financed, mm-hmm. they would use something called discounted cash flow, DCF. Correct. Yeah. Which most yeah. business school, you go to a business school, they say, oh, understand DCF. So I was blown away. One of my early learnings in building up his equity was this idea that if you apply a discounted cash flow methodology to get a little wonky, but you apply it to a tax efficient run business, you actually undervalue them, Sure, which is, which is awful, right? Sure. So somebody sure. thinks like, oh, my nephew or my niece 
they just went to, you know, fancy business school and I own a machinery shop and my machinery shop's worth 10 million bucks or 15 million bucks, but they apply a discounted cash flow methodology to the machinery shop. Machinery shop's only worth 3 million bucks, they think. And then Mark Dorman or somebody, one of Mark Dorman's associates calls at the machinery shop in Ohio and says, you should really make sure you protect your family and have enough life insurance. And they say, what are you talking about? I already have $3 million. I don't need any more. Mm. Meanwhile, they should have had 7 million more yeah. and managing their money differently. So those are the valuation methodologies. But to your point, there's four conclusions of value, asset, equity, enterprise, and liquidation. Liquidation mm -hmm. is cash on end at the end of the day. Asset value is kind of, you know, you, you start um, incorporating some of those aspects within your balance sheet um, that you wouldn't normally. Um, equity value is minus debt. Enterprise value is you include your debt. So it's an addition. Mm -hmm. But I think the key is figuring out the drivers, the two valuation methodologies. And the beauty part about this equity is, and um, is that we have this hybrid methodology that tells whether or not you're a tax efficiently run business or a high growth company. And so it massages um, those those inputs based on that. Yeah, I think the other, uh, and our guest today is, is Michael Carter, the CEO of BizEquity. Uh, Michael, within the BizEquity platform, not only are you, the first half of your report is, first of all, I just love the way it's laid out when I share it with clients. They're like, wow, this is extremely professional, looks phenomenal. I get my four valuation methodologies. But then the back half of the report are these 10 KPIs that are, you know, very industry specific where I can benchmark how I'm performing in certain ratios. And it really creates a phenomenal conversation. Again, going back to my original comment about, well, when you talk to your financial advisor about your business, well, I think the ones that have been trained with biz equity are having a much more sophisticated conversation than someone who's just managing a million dollar IRA or a half a million dollar IRA, right? You're really talking about the golden goose here. So those KPIs, was that kind of, was that, did that, was that a, bur, bur, you know, bird give, did you give birth to that early on in the valuation methodology or was it kind of, oh man, it would be awesome if I added these features as well? We had a few KPIs and the idea of it is I call it kind of McKinsey for Main Street. Mm -hmm. um, so Mass Mutual, you know, Ro Roger Crandall, right? They can afford to spend $50 million with McKinsey every year, but the $10 million machinery company in Ohio that's been third generation and puts 40 feeds, 40 people, right? Sure. Um, they can't afford McKinsey. So what mm -hmm. I want to do is kind of McKinsey for main street. So basically using um, comparable McKinsey data, for main street. I like that uh, comparable data sets and help us, uh, you know, smaller private business could be a hundred, $200 million private business. They still can't afford McKinsey or Bain consulting, mm -hmm. but give them some of those benchmarks that only the biggest companies could afford before that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you decided to pick up a, a, a partner, sell part of your business. What was that journey like? Why did you do it? And, and who was kind of on the short list there you thought to go to? Totally. Thanks Mark, for that. We've been somewhat quiet about it um, just because, you know, to be honest, we felt like our clients like you became good friends and you're, you were such partners along on the journey and how it happened was, was interesting for us and, and ended up to be great, but, but it was an interesting kind of off ramp on the journey. So I had an amazing investor in our like first, second round of financing from the UK miles. His name was miles frost and miles had a fund out of London 
that he was starting and we were his second investor. I think you met him, Mark, at one of our dinners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Miles, amazing guy. And he had a congenitive heart defect that he didn't know. And he went out running a couple of days after staying at my house um, for one of our board meetings. And he pa and he tragically passed. Oh my! And, um, yeah, so so that like was absolutely awful because he wasn't just a, a business partner; he was like a tremendous friend and kind of I said uh, my spiritual uh, business partner and business soulmate. With the idea of this idea that like you can do good and do well, and he came about it from an investor perspective. So, and he loved his equity, loved the team, and he was just an amazing guy. So when he passed away, I think the trajectory, if I'm honest of, you know, like 10 year goal, you know, to, to world domination and stuff like that, <laughs> that prob that probably changed a bit. And it was mm -hmm. like, okay, let's get the company profitable. Yeah. And, Cause I don't want to rely on outside financing because mm -hmm. I lost my guy. So I was the original investor. Then I had some great angel investors and then I had miles and miles is fun. So we kind of tightened up the ship on that. We got actually to break even and we were looking for outside money and it was either to buy like to buy out because we were their last investment to buy out their investment in London. And we'd hired a great investment bank, Raymond James, mm -hmm. that was, you know, mid mid market companies, pretty, pretty, you know, highly valuable companies as an investment bank um, just to, 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 to do it properly for our board. And we had an amazing term sheet um, from a um, household name probably can't repeat it, but a really a good one in the financial services space. And then we had a competing term sheet from an amazing leader and amazing business brand, uh, American City Business Journals that has 45 top uh, newspapers in 45 markets mm -hmm. across the United States. So uh, ACBJ, correct? Yes, ACBJ. Mm -hmm. Whatever mm -hmm. your local business journal is, um, that's mm -hmm. ACBJ probably. And they're mm -hmm. part of Advanced Media, which is a tremendous kind of like, a, I always say like a smaller version of Berkshire Hathaway, multi, multi-billion dollar closed-end holding company, and they take a long-term view. So ACBJ um, entered the race and they, you know, they, they wanted to, to buy a significant portion of the company and then buy the rest as the years went by. And, and that's what we did. And it's been, it's been, it's been terrific. Um, yeah. Good, good strategic yeah. acquisition for them. Right. I mean, it just speaks totally. to their, to their audience real quick. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Definitely. So I want to, before we move on to mission capitalism, and again, I want to thank you for your time, but what suggestions would you give to budding entrepreneurs? I mean, if you look back and, and you're looking in the mirror at your younger self, what would you have done differently? So the, I had a great, so I had a great advisory board for the company. And one of my good friends who ended up, um, he was the CEO of iPipeline, Tim Wallace. He gave me a great line one time at breakfast. I was like, I don't get it. You know, like it's such a, we have such a great idea. We have such a great product. Every business in America should be using this. Every advisor should be using it and all this stuff. So he was saying that his brother, a very successful entrepreneur out of Tampa, of five or six software companies. And he said, his brother always said, everything he's ever done takes about six or seven years until you see it mm -hmm. like really click in. Um, and that was great for me. I probably heard that year four or five. And it kind of settled me a little to bit. To know that it wasn't you that was slowing it down. It was just the it's, systemic you, issues of giving birth to a business, right? Yeah. And and even though I'm saying, it, like, we were still growing at, like, whatever. Rule of small numbers. But 1,000%, then 800%, then 600%. Then five, but, but, you know, you think you should be growing 10,000% because you read these stories about Google or 
look what chat GPT has done with 18 months, right? Um, mm -hmm. the saturation that they got that took Google 10 years, but that's lightning in a bottle, right? That is so, so, so rare. And you can still build, so I would say to a budding entrepreneur, you can still build an incredibly important company that helps a ton of people that will provide for you, your family, your team, so on and so forth. And, but you got to listen to like your, like your journey is going to be different than anybody else's. So mm -hmm. you just got to listen to that path and mm -hmm. give, it, give it time to kind of unwind a little mm -hmm. bit and mm -hmm. breathe. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so I would, I would say that because most entrepreneurs, right. We all are, are anxious. And, you know, that's probably why everyone's, you, you know, you're successful, right. Is you're, you, you don't have time to wait, but to let the, sometimes the idea could be so good. You could be ahead of the market and you have to mm. wait for the market to come to you a little bit. Yeah, I, that's great I, advice. Wow. Mark, but... Mark, I still think we're early. <laughs> I still think your advisory business is even like early and ahead of the game, obviously with, helping business owners. Like, I think people will still be doing the same, like, you know, business valuation is just, I think, uh, not even mainstream yet. Yeah. Yeah. 12 million businesses are going to change hands in the next 10 to 15 years, 12 million baby boomers. But moving on and kind uh, of wrapping up to the end of our show here, our guest again is Michael Carter, CEO of Biz Equity. Michael, you wrote a best-selling book on capitalism and mission-led businesses that, that, that help create a movement. Can you tell our audience about what it means to be a mission corporation, please. Sure. So, so real quick, um, one of my board members, Michael Mo, and I, we would talk about what was going on in the market and what we kind of saw as kind of scorched earth and this idea of where we thought capitalism was going. And then during COVID, when COVID hit, right, you had a little more time on your hands because I wasn't going into the business equity office. We weren't allowed, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So we started writing a book about next generation capitalism. But to go to your roots and my roots just a little bit more so your roots, your Scottish roots, Adam Smith, right, is the inventor of modern capitalism that we all know. Mm. And 1776, which proved to be a pretty big year, um, he wrote a book called a Wealth, The Wealth of Nations. But what few people know is in 1759, you know, 17 years before, he was a professor at University of Glasgow, and he wrote a book called The Theory on Moral Sentiments. And the idea was that society and business, there needed to be like a base of morality. Mm -hmm. So hold that thought, right? So there's a yeah. foundation, there's a foundation of decency that exists, say morality, whatever you believe in, but sure, sure. more than yourself, right? Then 17 years later, he wrote The Wealth of Nations and Capitalism. So I, So our belief, my belief, his belief was like the idea of capitalism was hijacked in a sense, by like, I'm making this analogy, you know, no, no offense, because I have a lot of friends in this space, but that by like hedge fund people in New York, that's like, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. all about the free market. And it's all about the invisible hand. Yeah, They had no clue that Adam Smith, before he wrote about the invisible hand in the free market, wrote a book, you know, about morality. So what, so, so I don't think what I, what we wrote is like incredibly like, oh my gosh, it's uber progressive. Not at all. It's actually mm -hmm. go back 250 years, 300 years. It's true conservatism in the sense mm -hmm. if you do well, you give back. Sure. The only way to do well is to give back. Mm -hmm. So we talk about in the book. You don't need to, you don't need to be successful at the cost of others, right? You need to no you can be successful giving another individual a leg up right 
A hundred percent. And that under individual could be a customer, could be a partner, could be a team member, could be, could be a teenager, could be someone you're, I mean, it just, it's a million that goes, it goes through, through and through. Right. Totally. So the idea of mission capitalism was capitalism is the greatest economic system the world's ever known and not, but, and it can and will get better because I think the argument and it's even worse now. Right. But in 2019, it was like, you're either a capitalist or you're a socialist. <laughs> like, wait a minute, I'm like total capitalist, but I can also understand. I can also see that the world's changing, right? Sure, and, sure. And so that's what we did this book on. And if if anybody's familiar with B corporations or B corps, B corps are these things that originally started around, I think, environmental and social causes, and its idea of being a certified B corp, and it's actually in a classification now. And mm -hmm. so our idea was, you know, this isn't necessarily about environmentalism, right? Mm -hmm. This is just about good capitalism. And instead of just having it be focused on the certification of it um, and the wording, we said it should be based upon action. So in the book, which I won't get into too much detail, but yep. we did seven declarations, like our Declaration of Independence. And, you know, one of them's um, three, two, one program, 3% of employee time, 2% of net income, 1% of revenue or equity would be donate it by causes that your team wants to give to spend I like time. that idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Mark Benioff does it super successful at Salesforce with the one-on-one -on -one program. So we mm -hmm. kind of took that idea. And then, and then the second one I'll just highlight is one I learned from Pete Musser, which is this idea that you establish an employee stock option pool of 10%. I think your grandkids, my grandkids will say one day, do you believe people expect it people to work at companies and not have one share of stock? Yeah. So, so sometimes, right, the equity isn't always what everyone thinks it's going to be, or sometimes it's so much more than anybody thinks it's going to be, but it's the intent of aligning interests that I think is the most important part of it. So those mm -hmm. are two of the declarations, and that was the book. And we just did a mission summit in Dallas that Michael Mo drove uh, with, um, and, um, for us, and it was amazing. We had 650 people. We had a former Federal Reserve chair yeah. do, the, do the keynote. It was at the Bush Library in Dallas. So it was a fun event, but this is uh, much, very much parallel to uh, you know, Bo Burlingham, who wrote the book "Finish Big" and who gave me the uh, wonderful ability to have this podcast. But his small giants community, right? Companies that choose to be great instead of big, and these mission-based organizations where they say we don't need to be the best, maybe not the most profitable, but we're going to have awesome culture. We're going to be good stewards in our community and good leaders in our community, et cetera, et cetera, and we're going to look out for each other. Great, uh, great to be with you. Uh, my guest today has been Michael Carter, CEO of Biz Equity uh, and best-selling author of The Mission Corporation. You can get that book where? Amazon? Amazon, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, and uh, how do folks get uh, get a taste of what a Biz Equity valuation would look like? Just go to bizequity.com, or if you're in Ohio, you know, contact uh, Mark Dorman. There but, you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, but bizequity.com would be a great place. And Mark, it only I took only took 20 episodes to get our first plug there, but I appreciate that. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to be the first plug. Um, and I think Bo's awesome as well. So that's that's terrific. And I love what you're doing. The, I've been watching watching what you've done with these podcasts, and it's and it's really awesome. I appreciate it. I believe that uh, you, our listeners, the uh, small business owners of America, are really the heroes of the American economy. Until we meet again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark Dorman, your host of the Finish Big podcast. Here's to finishing big. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed listening to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. 
click the follow button to be notified when new episodes are available. Learn more at LegacyBusinessAdvisors.com or call 330-350-5410. Please be aware the information in these podcasts represent the views and opinions of our guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Legacy Business Advisors. The content is for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your legal or tax professional with any questions regarding your specific situation.